Catherine Amir Farr. And I'm Cal Raustiala. And this is International, International Law, Law Behind, Behind the, the Headlines. Headlines, coming to you from the American Society of International Law. I'm Cal Rausiala, co-host of the American Society of International Law podcast, International Law Behind the Headlines. And it's a great pleasure to welcome on the podcast today uh, two good friends of the American Society, friends of mine and, and people who are probably well known to a lot of the listeners. So Adrian Wing is the Associate Dean for International and Comparative Law and the Murray Professor at Iowa College of Law. And Catherine Powell is Professor of Law at Fordham College of Law or School of Law. And uh, Adrian and Catherine, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Cal. So great to be here with you. Thanks for great, having great. us. Great. So, yeah, it's it's my pleasure. And I've invited uh, Catherine and Adrian on to talk about a recent symposium that they helped uh, organize and introduce in Agile Unbound. Uh, the title of which is Introduction, or their their piece was Introduction to the Symposium on Feminist Approaches to International Law 30 Years On. Uh, with a colon, then uh, followed by still alienating Oscar, which is a reference to uh, to a famous piece, and we'll get into that famous piece in a moment. Um, but I think first, I just wanted to ask uh, you both, or whoever wants to go first, to just say a little bit about the Symposium on Feminist Approaches to International Law. This is obviously a topic of great interest to many of us, um, and you know, this is a chance, as I as I read the symposium, to kind of assess uh, the work that's gone on. But tell us a little bit about the motivation beyond the or behind the symposium and and uh, how it came to be, and and uh, just give us some context for it. Yeah, thanks, Cal. Um, so this is Catherine. Um, you know, first I just want to start by honoring um, the three co-authors of the original. Uh, age-old article, Feminist Approaches to International Law, which was groundbreaking, right? And so Hillary Charlesworth, Christine Chinkin, Shelley Wright, 30 years ago, they were way ahead of their time, wrote, co-wrote this article. And I also just want to acknowledge Adrian Wing, whose idea it was to, 30 years on, do this symposium in HLM Unbound. Um, the article that was written in 1991, about 10 years on from that, um, uh, so I guess that would have been, what? 2001, I co-taught a seminar with Karen Knopp, our dearly beloved colleague from Agile, who we just lost this past year, uh, who was visiting at um, at, at Columbia um, when I was uh, teaching the Human Rights Clinic there, and another colleague, Julie Peters, who is in the English department at Columbia. The three of us co-taught a class on, it was an international law workshop on gender culture difference, which was intended to honor the 10-year anniversary of the Chinkin Charles Ruth Wright article, where we brought in guest speakers from a variety of disciplines, including then Charles Ruth Chinkin and Wright, who came to the last um, last class in that seminar. Here we are, thirty years on. Adrian came up with this brilliant idea of doing an, um, an unbound, an agile unbound symposium to see where we are, where feminism has traveled, where it hasn't traveled in these last three decades. Now, when Adrian proposed this a year ago. Um, this was before Dobbs. Uh, this was before our recent midterm election here in the United States. It was before a number of developments that have really been seismic in this last year for women's rights. So um, in a large sense, Adrian was quite prescient in recognizing that this was the moment to talk about this landmark article from uh, three decades ago. Great. Yes. I think it, uh, I totally... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Adrian. Yeah. Also... 
uh, because of this 30 years, uh, I participated in a new series of the American Journal of International Law um, board called Bookmarked. And, and we were highlighting uh, you know, articles for each decade of the journal. And, and so I chose uh, this article, uh, Feminist Approaches to International Law, which became the first uh, of the bookmarked uh, series, which was just five minutes of highlighting things out of the article. And so I thought, oh, that five minutes was very frustrating. And gee, wouldn't it be great if we could expand that out to do a whole Age of Unbound symposium? Well, it's great to do these kinds of things. And I actually think it's a real service to, you know, to our larger community, our Invisible College, to go back retrospectively and look at not only a landmark piece, in this case, a piece that really uh, encapsulated and spawned a huge literature, um, but, you know, one that has lasting uh, staying power. So I really applaud both of you for, for doing this. And I recommend to, to listeners that they uh, that they read the symposium, it, it's quite interesting, and obviously, still uh, thirty years on, the piece has a lot of relevance. But the uh, the additions done in the symposium are are great. Um, for you know, maybe some younger listeners, uh, who is Oscar, and uh, what is the concern in your um, both in the title of the original piece that you're talking about, but in your in in your title as well? What's the concern with alienation? Just explain that for us. Maybe I'll jump in on that because Oscar Schachter was a colleague of mine when I taught the Human Rights Clinic at Columbia. He, of course, is just a lar was a larger than life person who had been an editor of Agile himself, who had been a real leader in the Invisible College, Cal, that you just alluded to, and just a real sweetheart, a real minch. And uh, uh, basically, the, the the folklore is that um, Charlesworth, Chinkin, and Wright, um, I think. Hillary Charlesworth in particular had tried to raise uh, these concerns around uh, uh, the feminist critique of international law uh, at an at a, um, illustrious international law conference and was, um, you know, it was very difficult for her to get to the microphone, essentially, metaphorically and practically speaking. And Oscar basically said, you know, let her have the microphone and spoke up uh, to create space for this feminist critique that didn't sit well with many members present. Um, so the three of them then uh, apparently wrote this article initially on a cocktail napkin, like went across the street to a bar to sort of, you know, debrief on how difficult it was to raise this feminist critique. And that, you know, notes on the cocktail napkin became uh, the Agile article that we now all know and, and have paved the way for so many of us to find voice in, in the academy. And uh, of course, this, go ahead, Adrian. Uh, yeah, this uh, this situation and how they wrote this article um, becomes interesting because when they wrote it, there were people who thought, oh, you're going to alienate the great Oscar by writing this stuff. Um, and apparently, even though he disagreed with some of the analysis that they were doing then, uh, he he was curious and encouraging uh, of what they did. And, and so that's why in our subtitle, uh, we're saying, you know, still alienating Oscar. You know, what would he, not only he, but uh, people like him, you know, or these senior grand eminences of international law, uh, what do they think even today 
about issues relating to feminist approaches. It isn't like, oh, we've all handled all that. We all understand it. No, uh, we don't <laughs> uh, all understand it, or even uh, many don't agree that there could be or should be a feminist critique uh, involving international law. That's exactly right. And uh, it's uh, the alienating Oscar subtitles also a reference to uh, a piece that Hillary Charlesworth wrote um, uh, called Alienating Oscar Feminist Approaches of International Law. Really, it's sort of, I guess, a symbol of if you're alienating Oscar, you're, you're basically, you know, dis you're disrupting, right, the mainstream of international law. Um, though, as Adrian said, Oscar was actually very welcoming of the critique. Yeah, I actually conflated these two pieces in my mind, but thank you for pointing out that they're really two separate, two separate and very important pieces. Um, let's let's turn to where we stand thirty years on. I want to I want to talk a bit about obviously many aspects of what's what's in the symposium and, and maybe what isn't or what what you hope to have been in and maybe couldn't fit or were chose not to. Um, but how do you both, you, you both are, I think it's fair to say we're all seasoned international lawyers at this point. And we've, uh, you know, we were around for for this uh, original piece 30 years ago, and we're here still today uh, in, you know, positions of uh, importance within AGIL, for example. Um, how do you see the changes personally 30 years on, uh, you know, in terms of the lasting impact of the critique that was leveled in that piece, um, but also the critiques that were made by others at, 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 uh, at the same time or following on? Have we done a good job as a, as a field in incorporating feminist critiques? Have they been normalized? How would you sort of assess that? I guess I'll go first on, on this. I did an article for a feminist reader where I did the only international law piece. And so I researched all of the articles that had been done in every subfield of international law. And there were quite a few. So on the one hand, that's incredible, you know, that I don't know if there were 50 articles, 100 articles, so that there's been a lot of progress in, in writing pieces involving different aspects of feminism or women's rights. On the other hand, it's very siloed. So the people that do other areas of international law don't involve feminism at all in whatever they're talking about. And so that's a problem, right? If something is, is so ghettoized that, okay, the feminists were interested, oh, okay, there's something about international, but the rest of international law is not saying, how can I write an article on whatever the issue is without citing this literature? And, and right now they, they don't. And maybe just to build off what Adrian just said, I mean, I think there are two components. One is about um, substance. The other is about representation. So, you know, even for um, for Charlesworth Tinkin and Wright to be in that room was perhaps unusual uh, at that international law conference. But, you know, over the last three decades, we've seen geographic, uh, gender, race, uh, many forms of diversity grow within the society as well as within AGEL. However, it wasn't until only eight years ago that AGEL uh, elected their first black uh, uh, board of editors uh, that, with Hank Richardson being the first African-American uh, and then other uh, editors being included, um, other men of color and Natalie Reed as the first black woman um, as, as a corporate lawyer. The very next year, I was the first black woman uh, scholar elected to the board of editors. So this is after a hundred years, right, of 
being in existence that it took 100 years to elect its first Black editor. Now, representation doesn't correlate with um, a substantive outlook, of course, we know from, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas uh, to other examples. But it does mean that we bring in a wider range of experiences. And we have many uh, editors from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, from China now, from um, across the Americas. And, and it does bring a range of experience, uh, which is important. I think that's really well put, Catherine. And I, you know, as a former board member myself, I'm, you know, ashamed and sort of shocked at at those at those numbers and that history. And I know many of us in the society feel the same way. And it's it's a long overdue correction. Uh, but you're right; it doesn't necessarily yield uh, immediate change or even uh, mean that um, you know that's going to to, to sort of disseminate throughout uh, the readership or the writers of of the. Of the journal, but it certainly goes a long way towards assisting that. And I, I, I'm curious, since both of you now sit on the board, uh, do you see a change? Do you, do you, are you able to either in your capacity as board members exercise some degree of uh, editorial um, influence to kind of mainstream? Uh, to kind of go back to a point Adrian made a moment ago about silos to mainstream feminist or racial critiques. Uh, or is it still really a challenge to see that brought into what I think is the flagship journal in the world of international laws? That's still something that you find a kind of uphill battle. Well, the first part is that now the journal board is much, much more diverse. If you look at the list in terms of women, people of color, different, you know, different whole parts of the world. So that's the first stage. Diversify the people. That's the second issue about, okay, well, what is, does it make a difference and all that? But first, let's get demographic diversity. But now we're also in that next phase. Okay, that's very nice. We have a diverse set of editors, but what about the content? There is a need for diversifying more of the content, whether that be feminist theory, issues on uh, you know critical race theory or TWAIL, third world approaches to international law. You know, there's, there's lots of things that very few topics that that haven't they have actually not been published and so that's the next phase can we in the next few years start publishing articles or commission articles and, or something to be able to get these uh, whole areas of international law that have not appeared in the journal at all or have been very marginal in in terms of appearances with more appearing in the unbound and you mentioned before limitations of unbound, the unbound only that you can only have 3000 words. And that's, you know, that's very small and you can only have so many pieces. So we, we had, you know, four authors plus ourselves, you know, only 3000 words a piece. So that's not very much space, um, you know, for these sorts of topics. And at the same time, I think that even just having um, a more diverse board already has translated, for example, um, you know, Adrian, Adrian, it was already um, a heavyweight having authored the Critical Race Feminism Reader and the Global Critical Race Feminism Reader uh, proposed the idea for this symposium. We have other editors, Tendai Achiomi and James Gatti, who are now uh, co-editing an unbound symposium on uh, critical race theory. We've had major pieces on third world approaches to international law, uh, TWAIL approaches. We just recently um, unveiled an unbound symposium on 
uh, Latin American uh, approaches to international law that was our first bilingual ever uh, symposium in Spanish and English, which is just such a huge contribution. And so I think there are ways in which uh, we already see that representation has has made a difference. Okay, now don't forget, yeah. Catherine did an article herself on COVID that is very path-breaking and, you know, so taking issues like that, uh, you know, that are very topical, uh, you know, we're just beginning to to put articles like that into even the Unbound. Uh, her article was in a Yale journal, but we've all been talking about Unbound. Uh, these these topics need to be put in the, the regular, you know, agile um, in more depth and not only in the, the Unbound. And to, and to be clear, you know, part of what's challenging, Cal, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, is that each of us as scholars, we, I think we oftentimes pivot between passion projects and projects that are trying to engage, um, you know, a variety of audiences. And so whether that's the mainstream of the academy, and, you know, the first piece I published in AGIL was um, on Libya and the Libya intervention um, uh, from, you know, 2011. Um the use of force. But, you know, I think for many of us, we pivot back and forth between engaging the mainstream and then other passion projects. Cal, I know you're you're coming out with your new book on Ralph Bunch, which I imagine was quite a, a passion project and another important historical um, African-American um, figure. But um, one of the ways in which um, uh, Charles with Chinkin and Wright have been such pathbreakers to go back to them is that I remember talking with Christine Chinkin many years ago when she was visiting at Columbia about how she pivots between feminist theory and international arbitration um, and how important as women it is for us to both prove ourselves to a still predominantly male international academy, law academy, even while we're trying to widen the lens to include feminist approaches and other uh, other critical approaches. Agreed. Let, so let's talk a little bit about kind of how you how you came to uh, develop the symposium and then also what's maybe what's missing in it um, in your view what are the things you couldn't Adrian just referenced the the problems of space and uh, it is true unbound is very constraining as I think all of us who have written in unbound know 3000 is is challenging though you know I have to say I'm a big fan of unbound partly because it does give us as as readers, the ability to to get a lot of things uh, that we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't otherwise get, and so I think Unbound has has really served a great uh, role, and I hope it will continue in the future. But it's without question constraining. So you had to make choices. There are topics uh, perhaps that you couldn't address. What what's not in the symposium that you that you wish was there that you see as really uh, kind of a burning issue as we assess thirty years on uh, this this groundbreaking intervention? Well, we don't have an overt LGP. BTQ uh, article, uh, although we have an author uh, who is herself a lesbian, but she wasn't writing, you know, from that perspective. And so to me, it would have been great to get an article that engaged with that, as well as we don't have an article that is uh, overtly deeply grounded in critical race theory or critical race feminism. And so, you know, that those are ones I wish we could have had. And, you know, in some cases we approach authors and they're not available or things don't work out. And so, you know, um, it's, it's very limited uh, pool of people who write in the areas. Uh, and, and that is often frustrating that 
people will say, oh, where's this article or that article? And, um, you know, we, we wish, and also that we wish we could have more room uh, to, to have more articles on different topics. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, in a symposium, you can only do so much when you're, you can only publish, say, you know, four or five authors. And as Adrian said, we really wanted a queer critique. We thought it was important to talk about the gender binary. So not only queerness, but the idea of there being a gender binary, which underlays so much of sex discrimination law. Um, uh, we try very hard, but, you know, ultimately, again, people's availability and what people end up choosing to write about. We could have covered Indigenous women um, more on critical race approaches. Adrian and I tried to capture that in our intro. But ultimately, you know, we we, we wanted re to respect what the authors that we ended up um, getting, what they wanted to write about. And they brought, uh, I think, a really rich, diverse array of perspectives. Agreed. You have really a lot in there. And and I think I again commend uh, the, in, the introduction that you both read, uh, sorry, that you both wrote to our listeners, because I think you do a really good job of kind of putting this all together and, and providing a, you know, a nice kind of overview, but uh, at the same time, a kind of assessment. So as we look back at the trajectory of, of the, the feminist critique that was I don't want to say it was launched in that piece because obviously it had been around for some time, but that really laid down a marker that was quite influential. Um, we talked a bit about how uh, AGIL as a particular uh, site for scholarship has begun to uh, to change a little bit and to maybe, uh, it's obviously a more diverse board as we talked about, um, but we still, I think it's fair to say, don't see feminism as a through line or even uh even a, a kind of consideration in many of the articles that appear in the journal. And that's not necessarily a wrap on the journal, because I think that's probably a critique we could level at the field more broadly. I think the journal is, is maybe, maybe slower than some places, um, but it's generally in the mainstream. And so this is in a sense, going back to Adrian's earlier point about siloization. Uh, I guess that's, that's my sense is that there's still a fair bit of siloization and, um, you know, your piece made me reflect on that a little bit and think about in my own work, have I thought enough about feminist uh, approaches? Have I thought enough about feminist critiques as they relate to topics that might not seem obvious at first? Um, there are some that are, you know, maybe more amenable, but some that are, are amenable nonetheless, even if they don't come to mind immediately. So what can we do as a field? What can our listeners do, many of whom are writing their own scholarship, writing their own papers, uh, to think about incorporating either the insights that were leveled 30 years ago or the ones that are coming out now, which are, you know, in some ways much more varied and, um, you know, and very interesting. So what can we do as a field? What do you recommend? Well, you know, some of it is mentoring. Uh, you know, there may be somebody there, they specialize in law of the sea. And so you talk to them and say, hey, have you thought about gender and law of the sea? And there's actually a whole anthology that won an award from ASIL. Uh, so, Maybe that person would have never thought about gender, you know, in, in whatever's their other specialty. And so we as members, you know, have to uh, help uh, people, whether they're young, new members or, or more senior, to think out of the box uh, in, in these ways um, as we move forward. And also, we don't know, we don't have the statistics on, you know, how many people wrote feminist articles and submitted them to the journal and were rejected? Or is it that people don't even submit them? 
Uh, and is that because they're not writing them or is it because they think the journal would be hostile? So there's many different sub-issues uh, involved that we would have to explore more deeply to think about, you know, how do we in incur increase the number of, of articles in, in this kind of a field that are published? Yeah, I think that's right. A mentorship and, and um, supporting junior scholars and students, um, both in um, looking back at what the stories that have been untold, um, you know, as we are, you know, learning about Pauline Murray and, and others who played such a huge role, but whose, um, you know, contributions weren't really recognized. Uh, Karen Ingalls' piece, her essay in our symposium goes back to the um, sort of radical roots of uh, feminist critiques um, of war during the Cold War period. So, you know, decades before the Chink and Charles Brooke Wright article, looking at the, the contributions of feminist theorists uh, to talk about peace and warfare. So backwards looking, but also forwards looking. And I'm teaching a feminism, race and the law class this semester where my students have talked about issues ranging from ecofeminism um, and, uh, you know, just feminist approaches to the whole global climate change issue, uh, everything from that to, you know, sort of beauty in the bar, right? Um, and um, our junior scholars are seeing the world through very different lenses because they're inheriting uh, this climate uh, crisis and, and because of the ways in which they're rethinking gender and the gender binary in ways that brings a very different experience than uh, those at our stage of our career professionally. So I think to refresh um, our thinking on gender and feminism, supporting junior scholars is so critical. Well, that's really excellent. And I really want to applaud both of you for uh, for putting this together. And again, I want to commend to listeners uh, the symposium, which is which is recently out, uh, published, I think, in September um, uh, on Age Unbound. So Adrian and Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I very much hope uh, we'll be able to have you back soon. Thanks very thank much. Thank you. Lots of fun.